Well, not all ketchup is created the same. I am a Heinz guy. Shout out to my cronies in Pittsburgh. But sadly, my family has Hellman's ketchup in our refrigerator right now. And, and I asked the question, I mean, should mayonnaise people even make ketchup? I mean, that, I, I'm actually kidding because it's not that bad. It's pretty good. But, uh, however, I, I must also add that we do have an unopened Heinz bottle in our pantry, so everybody is safe and we're okay. But have you tried getting ketchup out of a glass bottle before? Maybe a glass bottle of Heinz. Maybe you've pounded on the bottom, and that doesn't work. And I used to do it that way until someone enlightened me about how to, how to really do it. Um, you turn the, the bottle of Heinz upside down, and you hit up on the slanted part, and the ketchup pours out beautifully. Um, so up, not, not down. So who would have thought it's so, so simple and yet so revolutionary? We've got to love it. Put a lot on. I just dump it for my fries. But anyway, so if I want ketchup, I'm pounding up. I'm not pounding down. Now, similarly, the Mosaic Covenant can be interpreted in a way where Christ doesn't emerge very easily. And there's another way where Christ pours out beautifully and in glory. So here's a little tip that might revolutionize the way that you view the Mosaic Covenant. It's from Luke 24. After the resurrection and the road to Emmaus, Jesus appeared to his disciples and he told them this, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's very interesting. The law of Moses speaks of Jesus Christ. Luke then tells us that Jesus opened his disciples' minds to understand the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament scriptures, including the Mosaic Covenant. Then Jesus told them this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Wow. The gospel of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ did not begin in the New Testament. God progressively revealed the covenant of grace or gospel throughout the Old Testament from Genesis 3.15 on. Brothers and sisters, we must understand that the law of Moses um, boasts of Jesus Christ. The Mosaic law, uh, it speaks of him. We must understand the law of Moses as Jesus understands it. Redemption in Christ is the central content of the promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, Passover, and more of the Mosaic Covenant. Christ is the point. We need to interpret the Mosaic Covenant as Jesus interprets the Mosaic Covenant. The, the Mosaic Covenant is a gracious covenant which promises, typifies, foreshadows Christ who fulfilled the covenant of grace. The Mosaic Covenant is important because in it, God graciously told Israel and us today about the splendid, suffering, serpent-slaying seed, Son, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Disconnecting the Mosaic Covenant from the New Covenant is foolish. 
because though there are differences between the old administration of the covenant of grace and the new administration of the covenant of grace, both administrations present Christ through which redemption is achieved and received. The old administration of the covenant, the one covenant of grace, works to progressively unveil Christ in increasing detail and beauty until Christ himself achieves it all and ushers in the new administration of the covenant of grace. We must be careful not to sever the one covenant of grace weaving through both old and new covenants. So my goal is to show you the glory of Christ in the Mosaic Covenant, which is ultimately a gracious covenant. The Mosaic Covenant is complex. It is controversial. Even among the best theologians, R.C. Sproul said, quote, of all the covenants that, that the Lord has made with his people, perhaps none is more misunderstood than the Mosaic Covenant, which we more commonly refer to as the Old Covenant, end of quote. Folks, I am not an Old Testament scholar. I am not among the prominent covenant theologians. I'm not even really that smart. Can I answer all of your questions about covenant theology? No. Uh, will I cover all the important issues and nuances of the Mosaic Covenant? No. But if I can simply show you Christ in the Mosaic Covenant, then I have done what I believe God wants me to do. As I prepared, I realized there's too much to cover. This isn't the first time that that's happened. So I've decided to extend this sermon another week, next week, part three, okay? Uh, so why rush? So we're, we're heading to Matthew, and we are stopping off here in the Mosaic and the Davidic covenants just for a little bit, which I hope helps you grasp more fully and profoundly the glory of Christ in the book of Matthew. Some quick review. A covenant is a solemn bond between two or more people, uh, an agreement between God and human beings where God promises blessings if the conditions are, are kept and threatens curses if the conditions are broken, and that's important to keep in mind. Two big picture covenants are also important to keep in mind. First, God's covenant of works, where God entered into a covenant relationship with Adam, promising Adam and his descendants life upon perfect and personal obedience and death upon any disobedience. Second, God's covenant of grace or the gospel, where God promises and gives redemption to his chosen people by grace alone for them to receive and enjoy through faith alone given by the Holy Spirit. The covenant of grace began in the garden, was ratified with Abraham, and was progressively unveiled throughout the old covenant until Christ. Brown and Keel are right. They say Christ is the one mediator of the one covenant of grace that unifies the one people of God in all periods of redemptive history. It is also helpful to keep in mind the threefold use of God's law, which I covered last week, the pedagogical or educational use of God's law, meaning God's law reveals the holiness of God and reveals the sinfulness of man and shows how desperate man is for Christ, a savior. The civil use of God's law, meaning God's law subdues evil in society, but not by changing hearts, but by sheer threat of punishment. 
Okay, the moral use of God's law, meaning the law instructs God's beloved adopted children how to walk by the Spirit with thanksgiving and with joy and in order to please their Father. Pedagogical, civil, moral. Distinguishing between law and gospel is vital to understanding the gospel, Scripture, and redemptive history. Now, in addition uh, to other covenants, the Scripture talks about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Uh, Hebrews 8 talks about both, and in Hebrews 8, the writer contrasts the New Covenant not with the Abrahamic Covenant, but with the Mosaic Covenant or the old administration of the Covenant of Grace. Instead of an external law written by God on two tablets of stone in the Old Covenant, God would write His law on His people's hearts in the New Covenant. The New Covenant is not new in the sense that it never existed before, but that the covenant of grace is fully and finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ of Nazareth and visibly expressed, visibly administered after the cross and resurrection in a new way. This brings us to this point. The Mosaic Covenant is the Old Covenant. The New Testament links the Old Covenant with Moses, not Abraham or Noah. And the New Covenant contrasts, uh, the New Testament rather, contrasts the New Covenant with Moses, not Abraham or Noah. So the Mosaic Covenant is the Old Covenant. The Covenant of Grace given uh, in the garden and ratified with Abraham, carries through the Old Covenant dispensation and administration right into the New Covenant dispensation and administration. Well, of course it does, because there is one covenant of grace which Christ fulfills, but two different administrations of that covenant of grace, an old administration where Christ is proclaimed in promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, Passover, and other types and ordinances, and a new administration where Christ is proclaimed in preaching and in the Lord's Supper and in baptism. One glorious covenant of grace or gospel in redemptive history. One Christ and mediator and savior in redemptive history, yet two different but connected administrations in redemptive history. Why was Paul so hard on the Mosaic law? Because Judaizers in his day were claiming that you could be justified by keeping the Mosaic law. That's not gospel, that's heresy, that's false teaching. That's not consistent with God's gospel of grace. God's law is good, but God never intended it to save. So Paul argued against a misunderstanding and misuse of the Mosaic law. Paul never, ever vilified the Mosaic law, ever. And we studied this in Galatians, in that series. When the New Testament, this is very helpful to understand this, when the New Testament pits God's law against God's gospel, it is in terms of justification or salvation alone because God's law can't justify or save, but God's law is really good. It's still good and it's still purposeful. It has its purpose that, that God intends. So don't throw the beautiful baby out with the bathwater. That's how we can conclude that. Here's another important thing about the Mosaic or Old Covenant. 
It's very relevant for today. People misunderstand the Mosaic Covenant and they end up using the Mosaic Covenant to rationalize things such as homosexuality. One argument they use, it goes like this, if you're going to use the Mosaic Law to argue against homosexuality, then why are you eating bacon and lobster and wearing a shirt mixed with cotton and polyester? See, you don't even obey the Mosaic Law. And folks, that's a blatant misunderstanding and misapplication of the Mosaic Law. And sadly, many Christians don't know how to respond to that argument. They feel like a deer in the headlights because they themselves misunderstand the Mosaic Law. So I think this will help you. The Mosaic Covenant contains three kinds of different but related law. Moral, ceremonial, and civil. Moral, ceremonial, and civil. The moral law. God's moral law is expressed in the Ten Commandments and summarized by love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, uh, everything. And love your neighbor as yourself. God gave law to Adam in the garden. But God gave clarity and detail to that law at Sinai in the Ten Commandments. God's moral law is eternally relevant. Now, I gave the illustration of homosexuality to, to help make this point. Homosexuality and all other sins, for that matter, is prohibited in the moral law itself from the beginning of time and is articulated more clearly in the seventh commandment and even more clearly in the teaching of Jesus. The sexual ethic that many churchgoers today advocate and applaud directly contradicts God's eternal and ever-relevant moral law. The, the, the moral law stands forever, and it is still very much in effect. In fact, think about this awesome thought. Heaven will be a place where God's moral law is perfectly lived out and expressed. What a place. I want to be in that place. Okay, the ceremonial law. The Westminster Confession says this, beside this law, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel as a church under age ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits, and partly holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties all which ceremonial laws are now abrogated or annulled under the New Testament. Okay, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Enjoy the animals. You don't have to kill them unless you want to eat them. Bacon, just keep bacon in mind. We can eat bacon and we can eat lobster to the glory of God. We can wear cotton and polyester blended shirts. But, but sacrifices were commanded in the Mosaic Covenant. Bacon, lobster, and mixed fabrics were all forbidden, specifically forbidden in the Mosaic Covenant. Yes, yes they were. But the ceremonial laws of the Mosaic Covenant were temporary, this is very important to understand, temporary, and only for theocratic national Israel. The New Testament, including Jesus now, explained that the ceremonial laws are abrogated and annulled 
uh, fulfilled and done away with. Okay, the civil law. This may... This point, in particular, the civil law, may really challenge some of you. I want to be sensitive to that, so please listen carefully. Uh, The Westminster Confession, talking about theocratic now, theocratic national Israel, again explains this. To them also, as a nation, he gave many judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any other now, further than the general equity thereof may require. Okay, listen. please listen very carefully so you don't misunderstand me, and I humbly offer these these, uh, thoughts to you. Test this against Scripture, please. The theocratic nation of Israel, as a divinely chosen and visible expression of God's covenant people, was temporary. In the old covenant dispensation and administration of the covenant of grace, Paul explained that the dividing line between Jews and Gentiles is completely gone, completely removed in God's plan of redemption. God's visible expression of his covenant community, his, we could say, chosen people, is no longer theocratic national Israel. It is the church to which all believers within, please catch this, all believers within Old Covenant theocratic national Israel belong to that church. One people of God for all ages. Paul explicitly taught this in Galatians and Romans. If you struggle with this, I just commend to you to go back to Galatians and to go to Romans and study deeply. The church existed within theocratic national Israel in the old dispensation and administration of the covenant of grace. And beautifully, it continues today after the cross and resurrection in the new dispensation and administration of the covenant of grace. One people throughout history united to Christ by faith alone. Who are God's covenant people today? Where do we see the visible expression of the covenant people of God today? Folks, the church. The church, Jew and Gentile alike, united to Christ by faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and all other Old Testament believers are the church, just in a different dispensation. Israel and the church are not two different groups with two different means of salvation. They are one group with one means of salvation, Christ. In fact, the Gentiles were grafted into true Israel. Even some Gentiles in the Old Covenant, Ruth and Rahab. Amazing. And Christians today, or I should say this, a Christian today, in the fullest biblical sense now, is Israel, Jews, all right? Otherwise, if that's not the case, what does Paul mean in Romans 2, 28 and 29 when he tells Christians now, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. What does Paul mean in Philippians 3.3 when he tells Christians now, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
What does Paul mean in Galatians 3, 7 when he tells Christians, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Folks, I know this is controversial. I, I might be pushing some of your buttons. Uh, I don't know how you respond to this. Uh, though it's controversial, it's biblical. Theocratic national Israel is no longer God's chosen visible uh, covenant community. The church is. The church can't replace Israel. Some people talk about it. Replace, it's not replacing Israel. The church can't replace Israel when the church existed in the garden and in Abraham's family and in theocratic national Israel. Theocratic national Israel was a temporary, visible expression of the covenant people of God. Moses and the believers within theocratic national Israel are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They were justified by faith alone in the Messiah, in the coming of the Messiah. One plan of redemption, one Savior, one gospel, one way of justification and salvation, one church, but two dispensations and administrations of that one beautiful thread of the covenant of grace. Now, what does this have to do with the civil law within the Mosaic covenant? And I'll just say a lot, a lot. The civil laws given to theocratic national Israel, the visible expression of God's covenant people in the old covenant dispensation administration, are no longer in effect because there is now no longer a national theocracy. Therefore, carry this through now, therefore, we should not stone children who are disobeying their parents. We should not stone homosexuals and stone adulterers because of their sexual sin as they did in national theocratic Israel. Those civil laws, those, those like stunning civil laws uh, serve their purpose for a time. They, they communicated God's holiness within theocratic national Israel for a time. National theocratic Israel was temporary. But, be very careful here, the moral law within the Mosaic Covenant is not temporary and commandments 5 through 10 still influence our civil law today. And they should. Love your neighbor as yourself and go ahead and eat bacon and go ahead and eat lobster and please, everybody, put down the stones. Dear ones, I know this is theologically dense and I know it is controversial. I want to be so gracious but present the truth clearly. Saints, knowing the differences and connections between God's moral, ceremonial, and civil law within the Mosaic Covenant is really important for today. And the application of it for today is far and wide. This stuff matters to our theology and, in fact, to how we express our faith and, in fact, to how we interact with the world. It's hugely relevant. So let me ask, what about the Mosaic Law is still binding for Christians? Don't you want to know that question? If you've read Leviticus, I think we're asking some questions. The answer is pretty simple. The moral law and not the ceremonial and civil law. Christ fulfilled it all, but abrogated the ceremonial and civil law, excuse me, of the old covenant. And knowing this, civil, ceremonial, 
abrogated, moral law still stands, helps us guard against both legalism and antinomianism. It is a built-in guard. At the core of the church's struggle with LGBTQIA+, and human sexuality issues is a confusion, a fundamental confusion, of God's law and God's gospel. Theological issues like theonomy, won't get into it if you don't know what it is, that's fine. Uh, They confuse the law and the gospel. Friends, even the shooter at Chabad of Poway Synagogue was thoroughly and utterly confused about God's law and gospel. This stuff matters. It matters big time. Next point. The Mosaic Covenant was the temporary and old administration of the covenant of grace. Many Christians today see a radical discontinuity between the Mosaic Covenant and the covenant of grace. I would like to show you from Scripture this week and next week uh, that though the Mosaic covenant presents law, it is most precisely part of the covenant of grace, part of the covenant of grace. I would like to show you continuity between the Mosaic covenant and the covenant of grace. In other words, the Mosaic covenant ultimately promises Christ, Christ in types and shadows It ultimately gives us gospel. And I want you to see in Scripture um, that despite it being law, the Mosaic Covenant is a progression and expansion of the covenant of grace or gospel. And I want you to see that the Mosaic Covenant makes the promise of Christ even clearer. So I'm arguing that Scripture presents the Mosaic Covenant as the temporary and old administration of the one covenant of grace. Dr. Ligon Duncan, who is a historical theologian, says, quote, the covenant of Moses is squarely within the stream of the covenant of grace. It is not saying, well, okay, if you don't get saved by faith as under Abraham, you can try law under Moses. That is not the point, end of quote. And I agree. The Mosaic covenant is a gracious covenant which boasts of Christ. And throughout the Mosaic Covenant, God remembered his gospel covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God preached his uh, gospel, the gospel to Israel in promises, in prophecies, in sacrifices, in circumcision, in the Passover, and in other types and ordinances. The Mosaic Covenant, my friends, is about Christ. It is ultimately about Christ. You have to remember Jesus in Luke 24. It's revolutionary. So where do we see this in Scripture? Well, a lot of places, but here are a few that I'll highlight. Genesis 15, 13 through 14. God promised Abraham to graciously deliver Israel from bondage in Egypt. Listen. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. God promised Abraham future grace for Israel. And the Exodus is typological. It foreshadows Christ's deliverance from sin. That's the gospel. Now, Jude 5 is really intriguing. I found this very interesting. Listen to what Jude says 
Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, did you get that? Who's the deliverer? Jesus delivered them out of Egypt. The pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus, delivered Israel from Egypt. His rescue of Israel from Egypt typifies His rescue of all Israel throughout the ages from sin and death. The Exodus foreshadows redemption in Christ, which God promised Abraham in the covenant of grace. Next, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. After the law was given, God explained the exodus to Israel. Listen to what he says to national theocratic Israel. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples but it is because and and here comes two extremely important points it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt did you did you get that The exodus is a picture of God's divine election and redemption in Christ. God lovingly chose to form theocratic national Israel as a temporary visible expression of his covenant people on earth and God delivered them by himself and for his own glory. God redeemed them from slavery for two reasons. He loved them. He loved them, and he was honoring his gospel promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God gave the Mosaic law at Sinai in the context of divine grace and divine love. Now on to Exodus 2, verses 23 through 25, and then Exodus 3, verses 6 and 8. Israel was in bitter slavery, and God's needy people we would have been this way, crying out to God, please, this is too hard. This is awful being here in in Egypt. And they're crying out for rescue. Listen to what happened leading into the Exodus and leading into the giving of the law at Sinai. Just listen to this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Doesn't that sound like redemption? We're groaning in our sin. It's typological. It's pointing us to the gospel. He goes on. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And here comes a very enlightening line. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Saints, God remembered his covenant gospel promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Messiah would come to deliver. God was delivering Israel because God made a gospel promise to Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. God promised to rescue through a great Savior, and God always honors His promises. Yes, 
Dr. Duncan rightly concludes this, and so Moses goes out of his way in both Genesis 15 and in Exodus 2 to link the Mosaic covenant, or I'm sorry, the Mosaic economy with the Abrahamic covenant so that the Mosaic economy isn't something that is replacing the way that God deals with his people under Abraham. It is expanding what God was doing with his people through Abraham. Do you get that? Expanding, not replacing, not this is a new way to do it. This is an expansion of how Christ the Messiah will do it. There is continuity between the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. And and what did God tell Moses at the burning bush? Oh, I love this. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. It's just going back to the gospel promise. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Hearing that must have been like, yes, for Moses. I know the promise. I know what's coming. Was was God then doing something completely new? Transitioning history into a time of pure law and no gospel? Or was God keeping the gracious gospel promises that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I, I hope you say he was keeping his promise. God then said to Moses, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. What's that all about? That's typological, that it foreshadows Christ's great redemption of all God's people and his giving Christ all things, all the earth, it's all his, in whom his people co-inherit heaven and all the earth, not just a strip, folks. All of it is ours as we are united to Christ. This is amazing stuff. This is God's promise of heaven and a new earth. The Mosaic covenant is a gracious covenant in which God remembers his promise of Christ, remembers his promise to Christ. God chose Moses as the mediator of the old covenant, as a type of Christ the preeminent mediator of the new covenant, and God gave Moses power to do great miracles to prove that God was at work through this mediator and that God was delivering his people. Again, foreshadowing what? Christ, the preeminent mediator who works miracles, authenticating everything that he said and everything that he is. He is the Messiah. He's the only choice that we have. While things were getting worse in Egypt for Israel, the labor, I can't imagine this. When you read that, imagine if you were a slave in Egypt. It was awful, absolutely awful, increasingly rigorous. They make them do more work. Moses was frustrated, excuse me, as he had been before. Exodus 6, 1 through 9. God gave, gave gospel to Israel, and it sounded like this. Listen to this gospel. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, 
and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Yes! Aren't you glad God's memory is not like yours? And definitely not like mine. Where, where are we? You know, that's, that's me. God remembers every little intimate detail. Folks, in his deliverance of Israel in the Exodus, what covenant was God remembering? His gospel covenant. His covenant of grace. God was remembering his promise of Christ and deliverance given to Abraham, and God continued to Moses. I love this. This is gospel. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. What did he promise Abraham? He walked through the pieces. He secured that he he would be the one to fulfill the gospel promises and man would have nothing to do with it. They would just receive and be saved. This is beautiful. This is gospel. This is pure grace. That, that section there is gospel pointing to Christ and an eternal inheritance in him in heaven and earth. That's God's typological foreshadowing of redemption in Christ. And that explains in old covenant terms God's redemption of you, dear brothers and sisters. You can read the Exodus and say, yes, thank you for Jesus, for saving me just like that. Through Christ, the promised Messiah, he rescued you. Because God is Yahweh, and because he is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, he brings out, he delivers, he redeems, he takes the people he chooses to be his very own possession, to be God to them and to bless them. God was remembering his promise of Christ. Abraham and his children had the promise looking forward to the cross and resurrection. And dear saints, you and your children have the promise looking back at the cross and resurrection. Right in the context of Exodus, God restates his great covenant of grace formula. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Isn't that the exact point of the new covenant as well? Oh, the glorious truth of revelation now Revelation 21.3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's not new language. That's Abrahamic language. The gospel of grace. 
God gave that covenant gospel promise to Abraham. He gave it to Isaac. He gave it to Jacob. He gave it to Moses. He gave it to Israel as much as he gives it to believers and their children today. But in the Old Testament, age of types and shadows, mysterious time, Christ was offered in promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Passover and other types and ordinances. And today, in the new administration of the same covenant of grace, Christ is offered in preaching, in the Lord's Supper, and in baptism. One glorious covenant of grace. I will be your God. You shall be my people. One promise, but two different and inseparable administrations of that promise of grace. Well, then the awful ten plagues came in Egypt, devastating. The gospel emerged in greater glory and beauty in the Passover. They killed the lamb. They, they spread the blood on the two doorposts and lintel. The, the blood spared the firstborn sons because one day God's son, the promised lamb, would spare God's people from sin and death by shedding his own blood on the cross as the final sacrifice, the final perfect lamb. God was expanding the gospel of substitutionary atonement for his people so that they could see Christ but in types and in shadows until the coming of Christ in that glorious day where they saw in full. And as a quick aside, just as baptism replaces circumcision as the visible sign and seal of the covenant of grace and God's covenant community of faith in the New Testament or New Covenant, the Lord's Supper beautifully replaces the Passover as the other sign and seal of the same covenant of grace. It's the Lord's Supper and baptism that work together to tell the gospel except in new covenant terms. What was promised in both the old and new covenants is exactly the same. Grace in Christ received by faith. But how the covenant of grace was outwardly and visible, visibly administered in the Old and New Covenants is different but related. So I need to end. And I want to end with this glorious point, which I hope you want to stand up. In fact, feel free to stand up and cheer if you wanted this. Stand on the pews, if you will. Maybe a kid will be bold enough to lead us all as we celebrate this last point that I think among our differences, we better celebrate this. The Mosaic Covenant graciously directs us to Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. Come on. You can be charismatic. Come on. That's fine. I like that. When you get into it, that's fine. Jesus told his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses must be fulfilled. Can you see Christ in the Mosaic Covenant? If you can't, you're missing the point. You're missing him. You're missing what's good. Can you see Christ in the Mosaic Covenant? God's law, dear brothers and sisters, God's law is good. It has always been good. It has never been bad, not for one moment, but it is only good for you if it escorts you to Jesus.
to receive his grace and to then, to then instruct you how you are to, to love and serve and respond to the one that you love, the one that you know, the one that is everything to you. Jesus taught that the Mosaic Covenant revealed him. Can you see Christ in the Mosaic Covenant? 